thankful in the Lord this morning. Say amen. amen. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, that was amazing, uh, Alex, saying that special in the suite by and by. And uh, I, I, I went out to two of them. I told him, I said, you know what's amazing is uh, if many of you or many of you haven't been, but some of you have been, I should say, to our original, the original building, uh, the old church is what we always call it. And uh, um, we always sing traditional hymns and stuff like that, and it's amazing to do that, and it, it kind of took me back. Uh, we, we sang that song here too, I'm sure, early on, but um, just it just reminded me of when I first came to Christ at 16, and I went to the old church, and, and it was just a small little um, chapel area there, and, and very traditional looking, a little stage, pews, the whole nine, and uh, it just took me back to that, and that was just such a blessing to be able to do that, to worship that way, so, so thank you, Alex, for that. And uh, I did tell him we're going to record him soon, so we need to get like a, a hymns album going with him on it. So I think that'd be amazing. But um, but this morning, uh, before we get into our uh, new series that we're beginning this morning, first comes love, then comes blank. I, I want to announce something. I meant to announce in our uh, announcement time there, but uh, we are uh, so excited that this week, many of you know, and I appreciate your patience and your uh, endurance through uh, the flooring. We started doing the flooring back in, I believe it was late September, early October. And so some of you have seen the transition over and over the weeks. Um, thank you for your patience with that. I know it's been a little bit of a headache at times. Um, and so this week, uh, we are going to be replacing um, the carpet in this room. And so uh, today at three o'clock, anyone who's available to come on out. Uh, last time I announced this, I said, if any guys want to come out and I had a couple ladies come out and say, what, I can't help anyone, <laughs> men or women who want to help. There's no way meant to offend anyone of anything, but uh, anyone's welcome to come out today. So at three o'clock today, uh, we are going to go ahead and stack chairs and get the chairs out and get the carpet pulled up so they can begin that project tomorrow. Um, Sunday evening service is still happening. When you come in for Sunday evening service, you're actually going to head to our Word of Life room. We're going to have the service in that room. So you're just going to head down there, which is where the junior church meets on Sunday mornings. Um, and then Wednesday night service for the adults and everything is still going to be normal. Everything's normal. We're trying to do this where we don't have to change any services or cancel any services. So even though this work will be going on this week, um, the plan is, and the way it's all worked out so far, is that we'll still have all of our normal services. Okay? So nothing's changing in that regard. But but if you can come out today, three o'clock, um, bring some, if you want to bring some clothes to change into, obviously we encourage you to stay over for our evening service, which begins at six o'clock. And so you're invited to that as well. But again, if you can do that, that would be hugely appreciated. So this morning, uh, I'm really excited to begin a four-week four week sermon series uh, entitled First Comes Love, Then Comes Blank. Now, I know if you're like me, you could maybe fill in that blank line with a lot of different words. Uh, I'm going to encourage you not to do that out loud, though, with your spouse sitting next to you, okay? Um, some of you are like, yeah, let me tell you some words I could fill in there. First come love, then comes this, right? But we don't want to do that. But I know that many of us could fill that blank in with many different words, okay? Um, and if you want to follow along with our series this morning on our app, you can go in there. Uh, if you haven't downloaded it yet, it's just North Goodland BC in your app store. You can go into uh, media, message notes, uh, and then you'll find the message notes for today. So if you want to follow along, you can do that. Uh, but we, many of us have gone through different things in life where we could fill in that blank with many different Words. Now, those words you would use to fill in on that blank line could be very positive, very, very um, 
uh, upbeat words, very positive words, very, very good things that you would think of that you would fill in there. And that's good to do that. Uh, some of us might fill that line in with more negative words. Again, depending on where you are in your life, where you are in seasons of life, where you've been in your relationships. Uh, maybe you're here and you're single. Uh, you're not married. And so you would fill that line in with expectations of what you believe marriage would be and should be one day. Uh, but again, this series, while it is at its heart kind of more of a marriage series, this series, I, I want you to know, is not just for those who are currently married and everything's great and everything's perfect. It's also not for those that are currently married and having a difficulty. Uh, so many people think, well, I don't really need to, to learn anything else about relationships or marriage because all my relationships and my marriage is going great. Everything's good. And that's awesome. But that's not what this is for. This, we pray, I pray, will be for everyone. No matter where you're at on this spectrum of relationships, where you are in your life. And the reason is because we're going to dive into God's word and we're going to draw out some principles. So I believe God's word is applicable no matter where we are in our life. Amen? Like God's word will speak to our specific situation, even though we may not catch in the beginning how that's going to be. So again, if you're married and doing great, this series is for you. If you're married and struggling, this series is for you. If you're single and hoping for marriage one day, or you think marriage maybe isn't for you, uh, this series is for you. Because again, I know God's word will speak to where we are right now and will also give us the steps that we can take in various relationships that we have in our lives. And so each week, our desire is to pull out biblical principles for marriage that will help foster a loving, Christ-centered relationship. And that's where we got to start this morning. I want to start there with that principle, that the first point we need to establish is the goal of a Christian marriage is not happy again. That the goal of the Christian marriage is not merely circumstantial, seasonal, temporary happiness, but that we develop in our marriage and in our relationships, Christ-likeness. There we go. They're getting a little better. Uh, we'll, we'll work on this through the coming weeks. You guys will be fine. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to fill that blank line in with some key words. Now, again, this is not exhaustive. We're not going to cover every possible area that could deal with marriage and relationships. But I do want to give you just a few principles in the coming weeks. So next week, we're going to talk about gentleness. That, that first comes love, then comes gentleness. We're going to talk about humility. If there's one thing that every marriage needs, it's humility. And we're going to talk about endurance. Endurance in that last week. But this morning, we are starting with first comes love, then comes sacrifice. First comes love, then comes sacrifice. Now, let me say at the onset here that, that nothing we're going to talk about in the coming weeks is meant to make it sound like I'm an expert in either relationships or marriage because I'm not an expert in either, okay? I am not standing before you as the example of what a marriage should look like because if there's anything I've learned in my marriage to Sandra over these last uh, 18 years, I almost, it'll be 19 years this August, but she doesn't let me count that until we get to the anniversary day. Like in July, I'll be like, hey, we're at 19 years. She's like, no, we're not. I'm like, well, we're like a, almost a month out. We're pretty much there. She goes, well, let's wait till August 5th and, and we'll see you then. And I'm like, you got some plans? Like, I don't know what's going on here. 
So we always joke about that, that I, I always count it like months in advance. And she's like, hey, it's actually 18 years and this many months or whatever. So, but what I've learned in those years of marriage is that I desperately need the grace of God in my life. And I've seen evidenced over and over and over again, the amazing grace that Sandra has shown me in my times of weakness. I have learned that what I thought I knew about marriage, some of it was, was real. Some of it was true. Some of it was false expectations. Some of it was my own kind of putting my own thoughts on it. Uh, I've learned that I need to desperately seek Christ to be the husband that I'm called to be. And I fall short of that often. And so I'm not standing before you like, hey, learn from me. No, no, no. That's why. Did you catch what I said? These are biblical principles that we want to see applied to our relationships. And there's one goal in this. Why do we want a Christ-like marriage? Well, the main reason is that God is glorified. That, that when people look at, by the way, your life, your job, how you work at your job, if you're a student, how you go to school, how you study, how you sit in the classroom, how you deal with people that you don't like in your day-to-day relationships, how you deal with people you do like, how you handle yourself at work, how you vote, how you handle your finances, how you spend your money, how you handle your hobbies and interests, how often you gather with the body of Christ, why you gather with the body of Christ, how you parent your children, how you treat your spouse. All of it as a follower of Christ is meant to be a reflection of the glory of God. There is no box for marriage that we open up and go, okay, now I need to be this. But I can put that box away when I go to work tomorrow on Monday because I can be this. No, 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 no. That doesn't exist for the Christian. Everything is centered in Christ. Everything is from Christ, strengthened us by Christ. And then out of that relationship with Christ comes our marriages, our relationships, our careers, our parenting. All of it is connected. And so, again, when we talk about all these things, again, it's not just meant to be in the box of marriage. And I want to encourage you. I know some people think, well, you know, we just need to study more in our marriage. We need to study more on this topic or that topic. And we're doing this series to help give some key point ideas and principles. But realize something. And and Renee kind of touched on this. Your day-to-day walk with Christ is key and foundational to being the husband and wife that God treats. And there's weekends. And all those things are good. I, I know some people knock those things. Well, I don't need a marriage conference. The three days isn't going to help me. We've got so many issues. I don't need that. I don't need that. What I usually say to people is, okay, great. So what are you doing and how is that working out for you? Maybe you don't need that. That's fine. Then what are you doing in your walk with Christ to advance Christ's likeness in your relationships? So when we talk about all of these things, those things are fine. But it's not in place of that day-to-day connection with Christ. These, this, this series is supplemental to what you're already experiencing in your walk with Christ. We, we so often we think if I could just read that book and listen to that podcast and watch that thing, that'll fix everything. No, 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 no. First of all, we just need to strive to walk with Christ so that he will fix us individually. And it's amazing when I'm walking with Christ as I should, and I'm thinking as I should, depending on him, it's amazing how the things around me that I, I want them to change. And if they would change, everything would be better. And this circumstance would change. The circumstance doesn't change. My heart changes. And now I see the circumstance altogether differently. It's it's amazing how God works all of this out. Now, also we understand that every marriage is unique. And we're going to dive into this at the end of the the talk this morning, the, the message. Every marriage is unique and has areas of specific need that we may not dive into this morning. We're speaking in general terms. 
And we'll give you, hopefully, a little bit of a, an idea of how to walk that out in your own relationship. So we're going to go to a passage that I believe is a great passage to start in. With first comes love, then comes sacrifice. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1, read the first three verses, and then we're going to drop down to verse 9. So Romans 12 and verse 1, and if you're using one of the Bibles provided, uh, there in the seats there are Bibles provided. If you're using one of those, you can just turn to page 799. 799 if you're using one of the Bibles provided. Romans chapter 12. So Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3. So God's word, Romans 12, 1 through 3, says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace of God given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now drop down to verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now, here in Romans, we're going to pray in just a second, but here in Romans 12, we see the practical application of Romans being laid out in the following chapters. So we can't jump into Romans 12 without understanding that there's a lot of things that happen before Romans 12. Romans 1 through 3, Paul establishes that all of the world is guilty for God and sin, and all the world needs grace and salvation through Christ. Then he establishes in a couple chapters that grace is the only way that we are saved. By grace, through faith. That we're not saved by works. And that's a way that God has saved humanity from the very beginning. That it's always been by faith and through grace. So he establishes beautifully examples of the Old Testament that we see in Romans. And he lays out clearly how we can know that. Then he gets into Romans 7, where he talks about, well, 6, where he talks about that we're dead in Christ and we're risen to this newness of life. And that we walk in Christ and the grace that we received, we now live differently Romans 7 is a beautifully placed chapter where it talks about that Paul still had struggles and issues. And even though he was in Christ, he still did things he didn't really want to do. And he didn't do the things he knew he should have done. But then he begins to tell us in Romans 8 verse 1 that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that in Christ, even though we struggle in this life, we're still forgiven and free in Christ. 3 through 11 kind of deals more with the nation of Israel. Now, there's great principles in there that we can apply and, and pull out to our own lives. But that's kind of really the, the crux of what those chapters talk about. Then we get to Romans 12. Now, Romans 12 is the application of all of that newness of life, walking in Christ, walking in faith. Now we're going to see what that looks like practically. So when he begins in verse 1, and says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, we can't just assume what those are. The mercies of God is everything he's laid out from 1 through 11. The mercies of God is when he says in Romans 3 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. Like that's the mercies of God that he's referring to. By the glorious grace given to you that you might know Christ and have eternal life, your sins forgiven. That's the mercies that he's talking about here that motivate us as followers of Christ to surrender our very lives sacrificially before him. And then he unpacks it 
what that looks like, what that sacrifice looks like, that it's holy, it's acceptable to God, it's a reasonable service. It makes sense. When you know the mercies of God, the sacrificial living becomes very easy. It's when we forget how much the mercy of God cost God that we start to live with self at the center and not Christ. But when you realize the mercies of God in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you, Romans 5.8. Like he gave himself, not because you cleaned yourself up and presented yourself well. No, in your vile filth and wretchedness, cursing God and rebellion against God with nothing in you worthy of salvation, he hung on that cross and he gave his life, shedding his blood so that you and I could know him as our savior and have a relationship with him. That's the mercies of God. That's what motivates Paul to write. In light of that... Do you think you could live a sacrificial life for Christ? In light of that, would you just lay down your life before him? Because by the way, when we sacrifice to him our life, he will fill us with his spirit, give us his strength, and we will experience blessings we can't even imagine. So Romans 12 is the application of the rest of the, or the beginning of the book of Romans. And we can't just jump right in without realizing, I don't receive this. I don't live transformed. I don't live sacrificially apart from the knowledge of the mercies of Christ that were shed for me. So let's pray. I want to ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds and give us application in this, in our relationships, in our day-to-day lives. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Lord, I'm so excited to dive into this topic this morning, this idea. But I, I know that my mind is, is finite, that my words are limited. Like I cannot communicate all that you would have for us today because I'm limited. I'm weak. But Lord, you, by the working of your spirit, can communicate things to our very hearts and minds. You can convict us where we need conviction. And has been shared many times in our times of prayer with our men on Wednesday night, Lord, that you would would comfort those that are being afflicted this morning. And you would, Lord, afflict in the sense of stir up those that are a little too comfortable in apathy. That in this area of marriage, that you would help us to think like you would have us to think. And Lord, may we also be guarded against um, maybe wanting to apply this message for someone else. That if somebody else would just do these things, if somebody else was here to hear this, if somebody else would just make this choice, Lord, help us this morning to start by saying, Lord, how would you speak this message to me? How would you see me respond to this message? Lord, it doesn't mean that other people don't need to hear these things. It doesn't mean that other people don't need to change and respond favorably to the work of your conviction in their life. But Lord, we don't control that. So I pray that we would stop trying to control your conviction over someone else and just give them the truth of the word. Live it out before them imperfectly, but Lord, striving to be more faithful today than we did it yesterday. Praying for them, praying with them. And Lord, again, it doesn't mean we don't speak truth. We speak truth in love. Make anyone do anything. And so Holy Spirit, would you work in a way that we can't, that you would be glorified. And again, thank you for marriage. What a gift. What a treasure. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see marriage as something to be celebrated in our world today. Father, can give us your wisdom and glory. Help us to be drawn closer to you. And may everything we say glorify you above everything else. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the key thought I want us to dwell on this morning as we talk about this idea, first comes love, then comes sacrifice, is that love requires sacrifice. Love requires 
sacrifice. First, we are a living sacrifice to the Lord. Everything I just said about what Christ did for us, we're going to talk about a little bit more and how we respond to that. But the first thing we need to note is that we put self on the altar. That we put self on the altar. Considering all that God has done, we respond by offering our whole selves back to him in service. Not part of ourselves, our whole selves back to Christ. As an act of worship, as an act of praise for the magnitude of what his love has done for us. You see, all of our relationships, including our marriages, will be most successful when God is calling the shots. When God is leading us, our relationships will be much more successful. Now, I'm not saying that people still won't respond negatively, still won't do the right thing. They're still going to treat us in wrong ways. But here's the key. When I'm walking with Christ and he's calling the shots, when somebody says a word against me, a harsh word or does something wrong against me, I can speak truth and love against that, but I'm still in Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me to the degree where I've put everything in that relationship now where they turn against me. Now I have nothing. No, I'm fully satisfied in Christ. We have laid everything on the altar. And when we do that, we then live as people transformed, not conformed. So when we lay ourselves on the altar as an act of sacrifice in light of the mercies of God, we live transformed lives, Romans 12, 1 and 2, not conformed lives. What does that mean? I'm not conforming my life to the way of the world. Now, we dove into this in a Bible study here recently, but the idea is simply this. I'm not conforming my way of thinking about my marriage as the world thinks about marriage. And by the way, just a side note here, when it comes to marriage, there's only one definition for marriage. It's between one man and one woman. There are no spectrums. No, no, it's one man and one woman. Genesis makes that clear. Jesus makes that clear. The apostle Paul makes that clear. The weight of scripture makes it clear. And by the way, the Bible says that the ideal marriage is one man and one woman for their life. Like that's the biblical definition of marriage. And we want to tweak that and mess with that as a culture. We also live in a culture that doesn't want to celebrate marriage. We live in a culture that wants to make marriage the butt of a joke. We, we see sitcoms for decades that have made jokes out of marriage and husbands are like this and wives are like this. And we fall into that stereotypical way of thinking and we do this even in the church. Listen, your wife is not to be made fun of by you at work because the other guys do it with their wives. Ladies, your husband is not a butt of a joke because he didn't get done what you wanted him to get done. And you're just going to jump and complain and complain and complain about that because other wives do that. No, the Bible says we honor one another. You know, I've met so many men that will tell me, I'll take a bullet for my family. I'll take a, a bullet for my wife. Praise God. That's awesome that you would defend your wife that way. and You defend your family that way. Physically protect them from harm. Do you protect their spiritual as much as you desire to protect their physical? Do you fight for their testimony in the community that you would stand for them? Speak positively about them, husbands and wives. And by the way, this is true in many of our relationships. What do we say about our children in public? And I know we all joke about some of the things that kids put us through, and that's fine. We can, we can say that to a certain degree, but I pray that we don't really mean those things. They are a blessing. They're a treasure from God. And again, that's not just children that you biologically bring into the world. That's children that you've been blessed with to raise under whatever circumstance God has brought that child into your life. And so we see these things in Scripture and these principles, and we want to walk in these things because ultimately we're not conforming our thinking to the world. 
Listen, don't go to work tomorrow and work like the world works. Work as somebody who's working for Jesus Christ. Don't look at your marriage and say, okay, well, the world says my marriage is this and I should act this way and I should do that. No, no, no. Look at your marriage and say, how can I be a reflection of God's grace today to my spouse? You see, because we understand that we are transformed and not conformed to the world, we don't inflate our importance over another. And we don't minimize the abilities God has given us. We think soberly according to the faith that God has given us. We see that in the text. Go back with me, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation takes place by the work of the Holy Spirit as we're spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, and gathering with the body of Christ. The church should be the greatest place to get encouragement in our marriages. It really should. Because we, as the body of Christ, understand the full picture of marriage. Now, we may not live it out. (laughs) I know I don't live out the full picture of what marriage can be. But we know what's possible in Christ. And we should have the greatest cheerleaders in the world, in the church, to just rally behind us and cheer us on, on good times and bad times. To pray for us and encourage us, not with feel-good sentiment, but biblical truth. Which may be harsh to hear at times, but needful. And yet also said in love to rally behind the marriages in our church so that we might be an example to the community. He goes on to say, by the renewing of your mind, that is, you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're living out that perfect will. We're not perfectly living out the will of God. We're allowing the relationships, our lives as a sacrificial life to show that will of God, that desire to please him. Verse three, for I say, Through the grace given unto me, he's received grace. He didn't earn it. It was given to him. To every man that is among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think what soberly, to rightly think about these things, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Well, what is, what is Paul talking about there with this measure of faith? Why is he using that terminology? I want to read what Tim Keller notes about this passage in, in Romans twelve three. He notes that we don't define ourselves by the amount of faith we have, but rather that we have all received faith and grace as a gift of God. He says this. The word measure in verse 3 is the Greek word for the word metron, from which we get the word meter. And it most likely means a standard of measurement, not an amount. So it's not some have more than others as much as it's saying everyone has received this. Like I'm I'm giving this out to every man. And it most likely means, again, a standard of measurement, not an amount. In other words, Paul is saying all of you have been given your saving faith in Christ crucified. And it is how you are to measure yourselves. That means we need, first of all, to realize that we are all the same. God loves us equally in Christ. So therefore, this is kind of what I follow up with that when I think about what he's saying there. Therefore, we do not see our spouse as less than, but as an equal partner in Christ. One whom God has blessed us with to guide us and us them in Christ. Basically what we're saying here is you're not better than your spouse because just as much as they needed grace to cover their sin, you need grace to cover your sin. 
You're not better than your husband or your wife because you're a little farther along in your walk with Christ or received a measure of faith. Why? Because you needed grace. You needed forgiveness. You needed salvation. We're all equal in our need for Christ. And when we come to Christ, we're all equally receiving the gift of salvation. So again, we live as people transformed, not conformed. So what does that look like? Well, let's look at Christ's example. His sacrifice, rather, as our example. So we lay ourselves on the altar. Why? Because Christ is our example. Christ laid down his life that where he is, there we will be also. John chapter 14 tells us that. He submitted to the will of the Father, making of himself no reputation, but took upon himself the form of a servant. Philippians chapter 2. You see, our response to Christ's sacrifice is to sacrifice our desires for status, our desires for power, our desires for self to him so that we can love God and love others similarly. Paul's words in Philippians 2 make it clear. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? What was the mind of Christ in Philippians 2? That word mind means attitude, that attitude of sacrifice, humility, and service to others. Not an entitlement attitude that I'm number one and my spouse better recognize that and serve me and do and do and do. But an attitude of humility where when I wake up in the morning, I say, how can I serve my wife today? How can I, for you, how can I serve my husband today? How can I show them how much I love them and care for them? And again, not to get anything in return, but just to be an example of Christ. We're going to dive into that humility idea here in a couple of weeks. But it's, it's amazing how God orchestrates this. So, so I didn't plan this series when we planned communion this morning. And I was sitting down here, and when I was thinking through what the Lord was going to maybe uh, do this morning, and I was praying for Lord, the Lord to work and all that, I thought, Lord, I'm going to talk about your example of sacrifice as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I mean, is this not a great example of what Jesus did for you? That his body was broken, his blood was spilled out. Why? Not because you earned it or deserved it or merited it in any way. I was talking with somebody this week and they were talking about the thief on the cross, one on the left, one on the right. And they were sharing that, you know, just the different perspectives of that, how one responded one way and one responded another way. And I was thinking about the crowd around the feet of the cross as they're mocking and ridiculing. And you say you're the son of God, go ahead and come down off the cross. Look, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. He's dying for their sin if they would turn and repent in Christ. And in the midst of mockery and rebuke, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He, he shed his blood for sinners like you and I, that we would come to know Christ and be able to experience the fruitfulness of the abundant life in John 10.10. 10. And again, he did it willingly. He was not forced to the cross by the Father. He went willingly. Because see, here's the thing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus bowed his head and he prayed to the point where he was sweating blood, and he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. The Father said, no. And the message was received when Judas showed up with the guards to arrest him. You see, the Father doesn't say, no, Jesus. Right? He spoke to him at the baptism. But he doesn't say, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. When Jesus finished pray, praying and gets up and goes to his disciples, and here comes Judas and the guards, you know what Jesus realized? That's my father's answer. There is no other way, but I must go to the cross. And you know what Jesus could have done in that moment? He could have taken out every one of those guards with a thought. 
What did the breath of God do when they came and asked, we look for Jesus of Nazareth? He says, I am he. Translated better, I am. And they fell on their face before the Son of God. He held all power at all time and all authority. But he willingly said, no, I'll sacrifice. I'm going to endure the cross and despise the shame for the joy that was set before him. What is the joy that was set before him according to Hebrews? The salvation of his people. Require a certain amount of sacrifice because sacrifice is foundational to love and all relationships require love. All relationships require some degree of love. Now, again, this doesn't mean we never say what we need or want. This doesn't mean that we are a doormat for another person because being a doormat isn't honoring to God or loving to the people in our lives. But it does mean a willingness to lay down our preferences sometimes for the good of the other. So first of all, we put ourselves on the altar. Secondly, secondly, we practice sacrifice for our spouse. We practice sacrifice for our spouse. We need to understand that marriage is not a 50-50 contract. I think our culture gets this wrong. Marriage is not. In our culture, it's like, well, you do and I do. You do this and I'll do that. That is not marriage according to scripture. Marriage is not a 50-50 contract. We hear this often that marriage is a 50-50 relationship and we can begin to treat our spouse on a contractual level, not with a covenantal love. Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. Well, yeah, but isn't a covenant like a contract? Not always. Our covenant with the Father, we bring nothing but failure. He brings everything we need, brings us into the fold, calls us his own, loves us in spite of our sin, and keeps his word when we're unfaithful. That's the covenant we have with Christ. You see, a covenantal love is what better defines a marriage, not a contractual relationship. We give all we can to our marriage. We do the work and give it our all. Again, in the light that Christ is my utmost priority, in the light that Christ comes first in everything, I honor Christ with everything. He is my full devotion. Everything I need is satisfied in Christ. But humanly speaking, I give all that I can to my relationship with my spouse. This does not mean, again, that we idolize our spouse or expect our spouse to meet all our needs. We are fully satisfied in Christ. However, it does mean that we individually approach every single day to say, what can I do to honor my spouse and serve them today? Now, here's the reality. Will we be able to do that every single day, all the time, without fault, without fail? No. Right? No, you will not. I'm just going to tell you, young couples, if you're here today, you're not going to be able to do this every day perfectly. Because here's the reality. We all struggle. Uh, struggle is universal. We aren't always at peak performance. We don't always have the will or the energy or the strength to give it our all. You and your spouse may have seasons where one person struggles with thinking Christ-like and you start getting distracted or consumed with stress or concerns or worry and you're wrapped up in something that's going on outside of your control. Other times, trying to make ends meet will require one or both of you to spend more time working than connecting because it's just that week, that day, that month, it's just falling that way. If you have children, they will need more of you than you could ever know. And your spouse might feel like they're getting the short end of the stick. It might start to strain that relationship where you're just not able to, because of different things, feel like you can really give it your all. So what do we do? We sacrifice 
anyway. We sacrifice anyway. Why? Not because some person is my example, another marriage is my example, but who is our example? Christ. So we strive to sacrifice anyway. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, and obviously many of you knew we would go here. This is the key New Testament passage really on explaining some of the positions and thinking around marriage. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read a very familiar passage. And then we're going to pretty much wrap up after that. But let's, let's look at Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Go through First and Second Corinthians. Go later. So if you haven't found it yet, you are in Romans. You're going to go through First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians if you're going to the right or to the back of the Bible. So Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. So this is in the context also of worship in the church, which I love this, that Paul puts this in here. He's talking about all the things that can happen in the church. He talks about worship in the church and singing and making melody in your heart. Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So we're submitting one to another in the church, honoring one another, seeking how we might serve one another. And then he transitions into the relationship between husband and wife. Chapter 6 deals with children. So he says this, wives... Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Christ is the savior of the church. The husband is not the savior of the wife. And it's not saying that as a husband, it's my job to save Sandra. Her relationship with Christ, her salvation is individual between her and the Lord. All I can do is lead her to Christ, do my best to lead her to be prepared for that day where she sees Christ, but her salvation is unique and individual to herself. It is not me who saves her. That's where that illustration stops, and it's speaking more to Christ saving the body, the body of Christ, the church. It goes on to say, verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Who is Christ subject to? Who is Christ subject to? The Father. And the church is subject to Christ. And so there's this dynamic here we're seeing unfold. Goes on to say this, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So many people take this passage and they, they harp on the wives being in subjection to the husbands. But do you realize Paul spends way more time talking about the husbands loving the wives than the wives being in subjection to the husbands? So men, if you're married here today, that means you should feel that weight. Well, I don't like that. I don't want that. Doesn't matter what you like. Doesn't matter what you want. That's what scripture says. He doesn't say, husbands, love your wives as long as she's lovable. In subjection to you. That's not what the text says. Not even doing the, the loving, the basic loving that will lead a wife to want to follow the leadership of her husband. It says this, husbands, love your wives. That is a, a command. That is not a suggestion. Well, yeah, but you don't know what she did. I don't care. I mean, God knows, and, and I, it does matter. It affects relationship. But when I say I don't care, I mean, it doesn't change the text, does it? Does it change the text because some situation came up that makes her unlovable? The answer is no, it doesn't. It says, husbands, love your wife. goes on to say this, even as Christ. So who's our example? Christ. Also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's your standing in Christ, by the way. Let's pause for a moment and praise God that we are holy and without blemish before Christ because of what he did for us. 
That's our God. Verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. So you're caring like you would care for yourself. You're caring for your wife. For no man has ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. Again, what's our example? Christ and the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall join unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And Paul spends a lot of time saying, it's just like this relationship. Now, the greatest example is Christ and his church. And again, we are going to fall short of that as human beings. But that's what we're striving for. That's what we want to be reflective in our marriage, is that sacrificial love. So what does it mean to be a living sacrifice in the moments where both of you or one of you are struggling and it's just not a good week, a good day, there's stress? That means we sacrifice anyway. We put this into practice. Love is easy when everyone is at their best. But to love someone sacrificially implies that even in those tough and difficult seasons, you aren't withholding your love because your spouse isn't meeting your expectations or that you take advantage of someone when you are feeling low. question we must ask ourselves is, does Christ stop loving his church when we struggle in our walk with him? Absolutely not. Thinking soberly means recognizing, empathizing, and responding with God's heart toward our spouse and ourselves. Now, this is where I must interject here. However, marriages can become toxic and even abusive when the idea of mutual sacrifice becomes a play for power over each other. When one spouse is using their acts of service as a, I did this, so now you owe me and have to do that type thinking. I also understand there are unique situations that many have found themselves in with their spouse. Sinful decisions that one or maybe both husband and wife make and actions that can cause sorrow and distrust. And I believe that those things can and need to be addressed. But it doesn't remove the opportunity for repentance and for grace and for restoration There is no marriage beyond restoration if both husband and wife will commit to say, I'll walk with Christ, I'm going to think Christ-like, and I'm going to honor God in this way. Now, if you're in a situation where your marriage has ended for various reasons, I'm not here to tell you that God can't use you and work in your situation and bring about his glory. Of course he can. But it starts with me saying, Lord, make my heart centered on you. Draw me into thinking like you would, and then lead me into whatever the future holds. Because again, I understand those unique situations that come into every marriage. But again, I've talked to people and to couples that have walked roads that I can't even imagine walking. And by God's grace and through his word, through repentance and turning from self and turning to Christ, God has restored marriage after marriage. It is possible. Stop conforming to the world, thinking, nope, I'm not happy. I'm done. Again, that is not the call of biblical marriage. So in this series, we're going to try to unpack these things. And I know it's difficult for some to walk these things out. And I pray for wisdom and guidance and compassion. But I pray that you will do this. 
Don't just think like you've always thought. Don't just think like the world tells you to think. Get into his word and say, what does this book actually say about me being a living sacrifice first? And then how does that translate into my relationships? I want to encourage you with a closing thought. Simply this. In your marriage, walk individually with the Lord. Equally submitting one to another and watch God grow you closer to himself in your spouse. This type of sacrifice is only possible in Christ and starts when I live sacrifice to the Lord and his desires for my life. To be a living sacrifice, specifically in my marriage, means that I give myself fully to Christ and then I give myself unconditionally in love to serve my spouse, even when it is inconvenient, complicated, and requires me to lay my selfishness on the altar. I sacrifice anyway. Why? Because I follow the example of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time that we could gather. Lord, I know that this is a difficult topic for some. I know there's situations that come into every relationship that make make us feel like there's really no other options, no decisions. We just have no choice. We have to just, we respond or rather we react, Lord. But Father, I pray that as we go through this series and as we walk through our relationships, that we would try to keep you at the forefront, that we'd strive to look to your example to see how you can and will work through those situations. And Lord, I pray that the the same grace that you've given to me, I will realize that you gave to my spouse. The same faith that I needed, you gave to me and you gave to my spouse and that we equally need Christ. I'm not better than her and she's not better than me. We're gifted in different areas. We're stronger in different areas. We're weaker in different areas. But Lord, we're unique in you. And so I pray that we, as an example, would look to each other and say, how can we serve one another? Not as a power play to get what I want. Not a contractual agreement. But a reflection of your great covenant for us. That you shed your blood and died on the cross for our sins. That we might come to know you. Father, be glorified in all that's been said and done today. And Father, again, I pray that we would celebrate marriage today. It is a gift that you've given to us. We rejoice in the blessing of the relationship. And Lord, no matter where we are in our relationships, that we will lay our lives before you sacrificially and watch you use us for your glory and the blessing of others. So Father, as we sing a song of invitation before communion, would you come? Do you need to lay yourself on the altar? Say, Lord, I surrender to you. All that I am is yours. Would you lead me and guide me? Maybe you want to come and pray for your spouse, pray with your spouse and say, Lord, would you guide us through this series as we look to you? Let's respond as he leads us as we sing.